as teenagers, we tried to put the pieces together. We still can't. Now, whenever we run into each other at business lunches or cocktail parties, we find ourselves in the corner going over the evidence one more time. All to understand those five girls. After all these years, we can't get out of our minds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first official episode of a podcast directed by. I am your host, Dave, and I'm here with Mike. Say hello again, Mike. Hello, Internet. <laughs> you sound like you are one with the Internet. When you put it that, hello, I'm Internet. Trying. That's... <laughs> I'm trying. I'm almost there. So as we mentioned in our kind of intro episode, uh, we are going to be doing a series of episodes about director Sofia Coppola. So... The first of these is her first movie, which is The Virgin Suicides, which came out in 1999. One thing we want to talk about is kind of our expectations going in, not necessarily of Sofia Coppola, but maybe of Sofia Coppola as far as this movie goes. So walking into this, knowing that like, okay, this is her first movie of, of six that she's come out with. What were your expectations, either the first time you watched it or this time being the second or third time? So the first time I watched, I would have been a teenager in high school, slightly older than the, uh, I guess, the main group of boys who uh, are what early high school. Yeah, they're 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 on the come up, right? They're yeah. they're they're looking up to these these girls uh, as something just out of reach, which suits the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have been <laughs> more in line with the Josh Hartnett uh, age group, but oh. not nearly, I was like, were you? Not oh, age the group. same okay. lifestyle. <laughs> Which, you know what? If you've seen the film, uh, good on me for not, <laughs> not being such a scumbag. It doesn't end but, so well for that guy. So, you know, he ends up... Didn't, uh, did he not? It's, he seems fine. You know? Yeah, he seems like he's in uh, some sort of therapy, he's, probably for He's got appointments abuse. to get to, Dave. He's a yeah. busy man. <laughs> All I've got is a podcast to get to, so no, he's still got a cooler lifestyle. Maybe well, not. By the way, we should, we should mention if you want to catch up on this movie, it is on Amazon Prime. You can watch it for free, so you can check it out, so you can know what we're talking about as far as the ending do of you, Josh Hartman's character. Do you ever uh, worry about this, like the idea that you know, a podcast you want to have up there forever? You know, this is your work you're putting out into the world, your voice, <laughs> and then, yeah. then those bastards, Amazon Prime, like a month later, like, oh, we can't afford that anymore. Can't afford yeah. the, the the Coppola catalog, so it'll be somewhere else. I watched it on uh, the Criterion Channel because I'm cool and you're, and you're not. Fancy. How about that? Well so. done. <laughs> so then uh, at that point as a teenager, I felt like this was a film kind of marketed to me. I mean, it's it's a nostalgic look back, right? So the the timeline doesn't add up because I'm seeing this in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think I saw it on video. But I'm like, okay, this has got a cool soundtrack. Uh, it's about <laughs> creeping on young, beautiful women. That's something that's a main hobby of mine right now, <laughs> like a main obsession. Didn't have podcasts back then, Dave, to distract me. Keep from, you busy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, <laughs> that's why there's so many male podcasters, right? <laughs> Keep yeah. creeps yeah. off the streets. The internet is just one big prison system for creepy <laughs> white men, I think. <laughs> so that's us. Uh, I was excited then and I was disappointed when I watched it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I thought it was okay. I mean, but it wasn't as – it's a strange to say. I mean, the title's in there, Suicides, Virgin Suicides. But I thought it would be like a really 
cool movie or something. Mm. Like they had a cool trailer, cool music. And I just kind of came away like, well, that was kind of sad and, you know, left me this sort of lingering feeling, much like the uh, boy characters of not really knowing what to make of that. And so I did what any uh, good budding film fan would do. I just dismissed it. I was like, (laughs) all right, move on to the next. (laughs) A little preview. The the next one's going to have Scarlett Johansson. So that one's a little bit more my speed. Cool. All right, we'll go that one. Watching it now, I was actually really excited because I had not seen it since I was a teenager. So I'm like, okay, so what is a what is an old man? You know, how is this going to change my perception of it? My, um, you know, enjoyment? Can I say enjoyment? I mean, with this type of material, but uh, just as a film on its own. Um, so interestingly enough, I definitely did not see this on release. I think the first time I saw it was probably five or six years ago. It was something probably when it came out. I was a twenty year old asshole who's like. Too cool for it, huh? No, probably probably more like, eh, it looks like a movie for chicks. Uh, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> and uh, I've changed a lot in the last 20 years. But when I watched it five or six years ago, I liked it but didn't love it. There were, I mean, we'll talk about it more when we get into the actual film. There were things that kind of subverted my expectations. And I think even if a film or a book or whatever is good and it subverts expectations, sometimes it can take a viewing or two to kind of get past that and just be like, well, I don't, I don't like that. That's not what I wanted. But it's one of those movies now I've seen four times uh, in the past five or six years, and it gets a little bit better every time that I watch it. I, I feel like I kind of, and some of that may be that I like the director's work after this, so maybe I'm a little more predisposed to enjoy it than I would have with like, oh, this is the only thing I had seen by her. But yeah, so I kind of, you know, going into it this time, I was instead of expecting like, you know, the first time you say expecting, like, I don't know if this is for me this time I went in expecting knowing that I like it already and hoping to kind of find some, some new stuff in it. I, I hope you found some new stuff, Mr. Expert. You know, I've got the criterion channel. You though, you've seen it four or five times so. in five years. That's like once a year. That's crazy. Um, especially for a movie that I wasn't that excited about when it came out. So what about watching it this time? Like what was, what was your experience of it? Like did, did it change at all? I guess I thought going into it, it would be about the, you know, the male gaze in a way. And I didn't really find that to be the case. I actually like some good female gaze in this. There's well, I, yeah, I thought I thought it was more like, you know, if the if the virgin suicide crew here is the abyss looking back at these boys, I I found that to be far stronger than I remember. I, I I think as a teenager, I thought of these characters as just like, you know, stock mysterious blonde, number one, two, mm-hmm. three, four. And I was, you know, it, I probably was seeing it more as the characters in the film were like I was one of the neighboring boys and trying to figure it out and then kind of lashing out in ways and getting angry. Like mm. now, obviously since you've already spoiled the, the fucking thing where it's like, you know, there's going to be some suicides here. <laughs> the lashing out here from the boys happens more in voiceover where mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's somehow been a tragedy for them that they never got to know these yeah. girls voiceover from what? Giovanni Rubisi, who never gets to show his face in this movie. <laughs> I feel like that was an assist being thrown my way to say something mean. And I will pass on that shot. <laughs> I will pass on that opportunity. First, first time. Do you find it, I, do you find it strange that it's one of the things that I don't think, cause you brought up this idea of kind of the outside looking in and these, these younger boys kind of watching the situation, like from across the street and trying to figure out what to do next. 
And I felt like um, from a female filmmaker, it was very surprising that like that was kind of the method she chose to kind of look in was this very kind of male perspective from the outside looking in. And, you know, if, if you had told if you had asked me, like, you know, what what do you think Sofia Coppola will do? I would have thought it would have been the opposite, you know, focus more on the kind of inside looking out. There is some of that. But it seems like the framing device here is more of like from the male perspective. I Yeah, no, I would have. If a male had directed this film, it, uh, like I just recently watched, this is a really bad pull for, for this <laughs> podcast. I'll just, I'm going to say that out right before you lash out at me as you're prone to doing, but like Paper Towns is something came out a few years ago. I can't lash out at you because I haven't seen it. I mean, I could, but I won't. You would if you had seen it. Um, that is a uh, John Green uh, novel adapted to, uh, to film after the, su- the success of uh, The Fault in Our Stars. But it is about uh, an attempt, a YA attempt to sort of deconstruct the you know, manic pixie dream girl. To me, that was from a male perspective. I still, I still think this is from a female perspective. Mm-hmm. It's just I think with a female filmmaker, she has the confidence that she doesn't feel like the these girls – need to be explained. And mm-hmm. I think there would have been some more detective work from a male director to try to yeah. you know figure it out. Or, you know, there'd be one scene where like at least one of, you know, probably Kirsten Dunst would like, you know, explain it all to, you know, make this make sense to them. Uh, and it would not have been a film that uh, I liked in the slightest at that point, even if I thought <laughs> right. the music was cool. Yes. And there are, there are a lot of moments there though, that made me very grateful that this was, directed by a woman and not by a man there's a scene uh where they invite this boy over for dinner this boy peter and he has to use the bathroom so they send him upstairs to one of the girls rooms and you can just see his eyes just kind of bug out and so like oh my he's, god a girl's room like he just can't he's you know. aroused just to be in the presence of where a girl sleeps even you know regardless if she's in the room or not yes yeah absolutely so was, i thought and there's a lot of moments like that even the moments where the the, the group of boys is just like sitting around you know pouring through you mentioned like detective novel they're pouring through diaries and trying to figure and of course i love the fact that they never really do figure anything out like they're just they're dumb boys so they're not going to figure this out they're not going to figure out this mystery but if this was done from a male perspective there would have been a lot more hints dropped and they would have figured things out and i like the fact that like you know even at the end of the movie you don't it doesn't necessarily spoon feed you a bunch of reasons why this drastic step was taken like you understand. James Woods yeah. is their father. <laughs> that was, I mean, it was, okay, so that's interesting because I think this is one of the first times I've watched it after kind of realizing what a piece of shit James Woods is now. Um, so watching him as like this, like very, in some ways, very kind, doting father, it's kind of, it's very uncomfortable now with like knowing that he's very far right at this point and kind of a jerk in real life. He's, and that's he is all good here. He's, he's, he's good. very good. It pains he, me to say he, it, but he's uh, very good here. From from what I read, uh, I, I think he he did this film uh, at the behest, not the behest, but like he he became involved with the project because he had worked with uh, Sofia Coppola's father, mm. and that's how he got access to the script. I, I don't think you know this was like <laughs> that. She was like James Woods as the dad, like that's you know that was in her head. But he he uh, said that he uh, responded to it because he found it very darkly funny, which I guess is one way to play it like mm. i do think it says a lot about james woods i think <laughs> well I, I do think his character you know the way he's at least chosen to play it with that in mind does seem to be like the befuddled kind of dumb father from like a sitcom yes. you know that's his i don't think kathleen turner is playing it that way but, but i think I, the I, movie I, opens a little bit like a sitcom too like if you look at the, like the main credits and the way characters are introduced in this it does feel very like leave it to beaver 
you know, very kind of family friendly introductions, like, like getting close to like Brady Bunch type, like everyone's got the smile and everything's very soft. Well, they're, and they're about to lose the tree in front of their house. You know, yeah, this is going to be the greatest tragedy in their lives. Um, so I, I like that, that he, I, I like when <laughs> actors play kind of stupid. That's one of my favorite things in film. I, I think that, you know, Woods playing it that way, there's not that big of a jump from the teenage boys across the street, spying on his daughters, trying to figure them out to a grown man who is their father has been with them pretty much every moment of their lives. He realized he doesn't know what's making them tick. So he's, yeah. he is, unfortunately he's, uh, he's not used as a plot device, but he sets a lot of things in motion because he's, he's trying and he's flailing to figure them out. <laughs> One thing he doesn't do is talk to any of them. <laughs> God forbid, <laughs> but you're right. There are a lot of, I mean, in some ways he's right. There are a lot of darkly funny moments in this movie. Like the one that probably stands out most to me is Kathleen Turner as the mom forcing them to burn their, their vinyl records. And then like possibly inhaling these horrible fumes after throwing one or two in the fireplace. It is funny. Like she realizes this is probably not a good, not a good way to dispose of things after the first one. You know, it's like, uh, I think one of the other girls yells down like, mom, what's that smell? Like, please God, you're supposed to be one with sense here. Um, it was, it was cool to see, um, you know, Woods and Turner, I guess both, you know, actors of a distinctly different generation, even Mm -hmm. this one coming out at the end, you know, they're like, in my mind, they're eighties actors, you know, that's, and so this coming out, the you know, turn of the century, uh, it was cool to see that with Kirsten Dunst, who I'm trying to, you know, figure out like, uh, reading about this where she was saying this was like her first role. that was like really sexual, which I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I agree with. Cause I saw an interview with the vampire and I feel like Ugh, yeah. that character, that character was inappropriately uh, sexual. Yes. <laughs> she was, she was going to get hers by yeah, God, one know? way or another. <laughs> Absolutely. Why do you say that's inappropriate, Dave? I mean, I think the rules, they apply differently. We're not, to vampires. I'm not even, nope. We're not going to get into that. We're just going to leave that on the table. <laughs> Dave hates when women have agency. All right. Uh, yeah. I, that's on the record. That's definitely on the record. <laughs> uh, another thing I noticed in this movie is that, well, really two things. One, when we had our introductory episode, we had um, Alejandra kind of give her take on why she thought Sofia Coppola was great. And one of the things she mentioned is the fact that she takes on these really dark, uh, this dark subject matter, but yet the film still in a lot of ways feel very light and very feminine just in their very nature. And a lot of this, I think is accomplished by, you know, the way, the way she films certain sequences. You have all these sequences of, you know, Kirsten Dunn's characters kind of like up in the clouds and almost kind of see through and ethereal. And then there's these like weird little moments where there's like a literal, a literal sparkle in her eye when she's happy. And the, the shot of her, you know, uh, writing, writing Tripp's name on her clothes that has this like kind of zoom in like past the clothes. And there's, she's, I like the fact that, in her first movie, and I think you'll probably see this in a lot of directors with their first movie, you'll get one of two extremes. Someone who's willing to just try everything everything, or someone who's going to minimize and go like, I'm just going to do this one thing and try and do it well. And I think you can see Coppola just kind of throwing a lot of things at the wall and seeing what she likes. And I kind of enjoyed that. That It's it's not – I really like this movie, but I, in some ways it's not completely cohesive because I think she's still figuring it out. She's still kind of feeling her way through out of who she is as a director. And I'm – you know, for – for better, in my opinion, I'm not sure she's still doing that. 
Like she might still mm. be doing that because she's still constantly trying different things. And we'll go into that when we watch these other movies. But it's something I noticed on on this watch. It's just how many things visually she's doing in this relatively simple movie. Uh, and I think because she's doing that, there's this weird sense of hope, even though the movie is giving you no reason to hope. It's called The Virgin Suicides. There's I wrote it down. There's, there's literally a line that says... Um, the first and only party of their short lives. So you know from that light, like these these girls are all dead. And yet, as the movie goes on, you start thinking like, well, maybe they got it wrong. Maybe I can't trust my narrator. Maybe maybe some of them will be okay. They seem to have this really great um, sisterly bond between one another, one another. You know, they have this like weird kind of relationship with these boys across the street. Maybe maybe it's going to be okay. And of course, you think it's they not. Just stop partying. That's it. That's it. They yeah. went to one party, and that, that sucks. Well, I think the short lives was the the part that is the bad part. But there's definitely a breezy confidence to the whole thing that mirrors the the mm. the characters. These this family, it's these a great the way to sisters. Put it. Yeah. Um, that men don't, in my view, don't tend to have access to. In particular, I guess in pop culture, or you know, the way confidence is portrayed with a, a masculine character is uh, aggressive mm-hmm. uh, you know bravado of some sort very still here you know, the this family we get to see the the internal battles you mentioned the the record burning uh, you see how stilted uh, how stifling the the home life is for these girls without dramatics or theatrics it's right. not like this is not mommy dearest you know but <laughs> I mean, you can tell. Although it's Kathleen like, okay, Turner could probably play that part. She'd be good play, great at that. play it very well. <laughs> um, great voice. But, I mean, you just, especially watching as a teenager, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, that's horrible. Like, you know, I wouldn't want to live there. Like, mm-hmm. that's not that anything, you know, directly abusive is happening. But it's just a very stifling atmosphere for a confusing time period where you want to – <laughs> I'm trying to make it not sound perverted. You want to try new things for these girls. It would be like socializing with peers, right? You know, just going outside the house course. except for school, like, and and going not like to they're a movie for God. They're sake. like a, a fucking baseball team where they're all traveling in a pack <laughs> together. You know, they're getting on the bus to go to the next game. Um, and I, I think like you know, the, just look at the way that she couple of portrays the Hartnett character where he. I mean, he's. <laughs> kind of a joke i mean yeah he is the cool guy I'm, I'm watching it with my wife and like she she pointed out she's like god his hair is like terrible like and it's weird it's a weird choice because the other boys they may have like shaggy hair that's not appropriate but it's not calling like out to you like his hair like this is like slow motion hair he's got <laughs> his his like wig or whatever here is basically like the dirk diggler neon sign in the hot tub in the jacuzzi with marky mark like that is basically saying look at this like i mm-hmm. want the attention and i think that's what you know that's why this somewhat darkly comic that this is oh this is the coolest guy in there he's like a fucking joke now like 20, 20 years later He's a goober. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the other characters in particular, you know, these sisters, they, they do have that timeless quality of right. cool to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, I don't know. I feel like they don't know it, but they do like, I don't, or they're, they're discovering like how much mm-hmm. power they have over people by maintaining sort of control of their own narrative. And I don't want to be, you know pro suicide at all i don't and i don't think the film comes across like that like no. uh what was it the netflix show that was sort of accused of uh, like 13 promoting... reasons why i've not right. i've not seen it but i just i've seen the articles where it's like you know did this did this make this seem like a you know hip choice or something to do which it's you know they just need to watch 
Heathers, I think. Like, <laughs> does it end well? <laughs> <laughs> you, you get the guy, but you don't want him. Spoiler alert for, for Heather. Um, so, the, I mean, there's a lot of. I think maybe when I was a teenager, I may have thought like, oh, this is you know one of those like style over substance type things, just mm-hmm. because it wasn't giving me what I felt like I deserved. And now as an old man, I'm like, I don't deserve anything. So I'm cool with it. <laughs> Perfect. It all works out. <laughs> I think, um, you know, some of this is probably, you know, because of the, the novel it's based on, but I don't want to, I try not to take credit away from filmmakers just because it's an adaptation. Um, but it does a good job of, of capturing certain feelings without like reading you, reading you the script and telling you, this is what we're talking about. Like, we get the we get the feeling that they long for this sense of escape, right? We get that just by the fact that they're not allowed outside their house. But she also makes a choice to have them like look at all these catalogs as they're just hanging out, and it's like this ultimate form of escape. Like I can't ever get outside these doors except to go to school, and soon I don't even get to go to school. So I'm locked in this room, and I just want to imagine what it would be like to be literally anywhere else. And I think she does a great job of just capturing what it's like to be a teenager, um, that kind of desperation for connection, for love, for sex, whatever, you know, whatever name you want to put on it, you really do feel that. And that's why it hurts so much when Trip ends up being exactly what you would expect him to be. Especially if you're watching this outside of those high school years, you're like, oh, this guy is going to be a jackass. You just know it. Like as soon as you look at him, like, but I did appreciate that there's a lot of like female gazing going on in this movie. I bet if you had a man direct this movie, you don't have that scene of him like just opening the door in a towel. Like you don't you don't have that sequence. That is very much it feels like a very Sofia Coppola chosen moment. Like you you have to understand why these girls would go nuts over this guy. Well, you're right. It's it's difficult because you are you're you're operating in hindsight as well, mm-hmm. where it's like you said you're you you're looking back at this. We we see him as an old man. Yep. Uh, you know we we know this not gonna go well. So there's already so many strikes against the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing against Josh Hartnett, but it's not like. It's not like just Hartnett's presence is uh, like Brad Pitt from Thelma and Louise. Well, it's like most of it. You have like, you know, Hart playing in the background. You're just like, (laughs) let's watch the beautiful man walk and let's play some cool music around the back. And this is something we'll come back to in all of these movies is like the music choices. Not only are they great, but like it does really show us just how much money is behind Sofia Coppola's movies. Because getting these songs in your soundtrack is not cheap. And every one of her movies has has got to be four or five, like number one hits from certain time periods. And this is her very first movie. And we're having, you know, magic man playing <laughs> like as he's walking through the, the kind of high school hallways. And I was just like, wow, you're just pulling out all the stops for this one. I mean, good for you if you can manage it. Uh, but it's not something you would usually see from a first time director. I don't know how far along we are in this recording. Um, mainly because Dave and I bullshit for so long before. Uh, but I think we did a solid job. I did an excellent job because I've still not brought it up. But you are the first in our series on Sofia Coppola <laughs> to bring up how she likes to uh, talk about and portray wealth. And so mm. you're pointing it back at her mm. just with her, you know, her little CD mix that she liked to have at the time. <laughs> You're already pointing out like that she comes from a privileged background. But speaking of that wealth, it's really interesting because one of the other things that keeps popping up in this movie is there's all these beautiful shots of this idyllic neighborhood, right? Like it is every house is perfect. But every time you go inside one of these houses or even outside, you talk to any of these people, it gets ugly real quick. 
like everyone is picking at each other. Everyone has something to say. Like there's some joke in the very beginning of this movie. Like, uh, she probably killed herself just to get away from the decor in the house. And it's like, oh my hmm. God, a child died. And that is the joke you're going to make to a stranger. Like, wow. And there's a lot of that in this movie in particular where like, yes, Sofia Coppola has had a lot of advantages as far as wealth, but I think she's also willing to kind of turn the camera on that and show that like, there is some ugliness underneath that. Well, if you don't give people a story, they'll, they'll create one. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, there, there's, that's the frustrating thing. That's what frustrated me as a teenager, that this, this particular story is about women who are not going to give you the narrative that you want. And so, yeah, unfortunately, you know, there's some, there's some jokes and, I, I mean, I found that one kind of funny. I'm sorry, Dave, but <laughs> it's because they about, didn't give me anything else. How about else. the rat poison pie? Did you find that joke funny? Because nah, like, I guess a little bit, you know, a little reach there. I thought. Um, I thought the method of suicide was also kind of darkly comic here from the girl because it's just it which seems, the first one, the one where she it seems absurd. Her, yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and it leads to I guess the Sophie Coppola the first action sequence she has where it's you know these bunch of macho dudes just trying the... to pull like you know and not doing it in any sort of uh i don't know how you would do it in a way that shows respect to the family or any sort of grace because you you were you a basic caveman at that point where you were just tugging at something and i love that gets. she leans into that there's a bunch yeah. of shots as it's being dragged away where all these guys and everyone are like, yeah, like we did it like we yeah, dragged but a then there's with nothing the else they can really do that yet again most of the men here don't talk to mm-hmm. anyone. Anyone. And uh, I mean, most of the conversation you have is uh, between James Woods and Josh Hartnett talking about his daughter or, yes. you know, his from Hartnett's perspective, yes. his intentions for a, a hopeful lover there talking about them, but not to them about anything. Um, and, you know, those men standing there like the the boys across the street when they do like call the girls. They don't talk. They just uh, put the receiver up to their record They make player. a mixtape. That's. <laughs> I I mean, admittedly, I don't know about you, but I probably would have been far more comfortable uh, with their 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 method of communication then, especially at that point in your lives. Like everything that you like, you feel like you're the first one to discover it, and you want to share mm-hmm. it with someone else, and you totally disregard your parents or you know older people. I mean, but how else did you discover it? Someone had to have a record that you picked up in the right. house. And but it's it becomes yours. And yeah. that's that's the cool thing about the age. It's also the like really dark thing that kind of carries over as people become especially young men uh, as they're maturing their relationships with other people, you know, usually other women, uh, if they're straight, it has that controlling aspect of it where it's like and I can make you mine by presenting things about me that I didn't really contribute to. Like right. I don't <laughs> <laughs> even us, like we'll get a little meta here, like doing this podcast. Like most of the stuff that I create online and like, you know, the best thing come out of this is probably like our friendship, right? Like that's a real thing. Yeah. But what we <laughs> what we are creating is based off someone else's work. Like we're yeah. totally reliant on someone <laughs> else so that we can provide something. I hope there's a little bit more than that. I hope there are people that get enjoyment out of this, but I don't know. Like that's something that I've thought about. And while I was watching this, I'm like, what is it about guys in particular where we seek ownership of things that we like or things that move us? We have to contort in a way where we have control and power. Mine now. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good point. I think the last thing I wanted to talk about. That's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We're done now. I think the last thing I wanted to talk about was this, you know, it's not the last scene in the movie, but it's, you know, one of the last scenes is this, you know, the boys discovering 
essentially this house of horrors, this this room of dead bodies. Uh, and I kind of talked about her still allowing you to hope. And I, and I remember when I first saw this, I was very upset by this because it felt like such a dirty trick of giving you hope where, you know, they have this kind of almost dream sequence of them all getting in the car and driving off and their hands out the window and everything is great. And then it, it doesn't give you any time and it just snaps back to reality. Like, Oh look, she's hung herself. She's on the ground. She's in the garage dying of asphyxiation. Like it is, she does not pull punches. Although like there's no, you know, there's nothing gruesome about it. There's no close ups. It's very, you know, shot from angles very specifically to like not really show you exactly what happened until they explain it in the next sequence. Uh, but I thought that was the moment where I realized, like, I think Coppola could be a great director, is that I should not feel any hope at this, but she fooled me enough, even with giving me every possible clue that this, you know, it's one of those, like, if you think this is going to have a happy ending, you aren't paying attention, because the the script tells you, the title tells you, and yet, in that moment, you are, I think in the head, at least I was, in the headspace of those kids from across the street of just like, we're going to do something and it's going to be great. We're going to have fun. We're going to escape. And then she pulls the rug out from under the entire audience. Well, I think most people with any decency or sense, Dave, knew that uh, Sophia Coppola was going to become a great director with her performance in Godfather 3. They were like, okay. She's, <laughs> I'm not responding she's, to that. She's heard our criticisms and now she'll do better in some way. <laughs> she knows exactly uh, I, what not to do. So I was not great. old enough. Uh, I, I caught up probably with uh, the Godfather three much later. I think when that first DVD box set came out mm. is the first time mm. I ever watched it. I had seen the other two and kind of stayed away from the third one. Yeah. The death scene in the basement. I, you know, I just, I, I think when I was watching the first time around, uh, I was just like, you know, I just had a base. Well, fuck. Like, that's it. Like, that's, you know, that's the, the, some of it is like a genuine response to suicide, at least from my perspective, where, uh, you know, one of the initial feelings I'm going to have is anger at the mm -hmm. character. I'm going to have anger at the person that this is, you know, such a senseless choice that they've made. And the film plays with that because there's so much interest in these girls. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think you're meant to find it somewhat shameful that, it, you know, it had to come for this or this decision seemed like the correct way to go about it. But, you know, for me, the tragedy of it is, I think it goes into the, the set design, uh, the, the plot construction of that basement of that first suicide attempt with the young girl. That's yeah. what opens the doors to the rest of the neighborhood where these young boys get their first peek, you know, behind the curtain at this, you know, budding infatuation they have with these respective young ladies. And they, you know, they're just not equipped. It's not their fault, but they're not right. equipped to talk to a young person who's already attempted suicide to talk to their family members who also don't know what to do. What, so they throw a party in a basement, like, uh, you know, with the, you know, their little version of wine coolers with their fruit punch. Right. Um, <laughs> and the fact that it comes back to that, that basement. And like, that's mm. like, you even have one of the boys sort of like going back to that memory. Like, you know, yeah. he starts doing this weird sort of dance, the shuffle. And then that reveals that there's, you know, a body hanging there. Uh, that's just that's just like it's horrible uh, imagery we're given there. But I read that up until this material that Sofia Coppola had never even considered being a director. So my you know my narrative about it all started with Godfather Three, and she was like <laughs> she plotted her revenge like Uma Thurman and Kill Bill from that moment on. Which I admittedly I would like that. If I like, like that version know, better. Yeah. Ten years I will have my revenge on these assholes. Um, 
but she, uh, I read that she said that it wasn't, you know, it was just being exposed to this novel that she was like, I, I know how to direct that, or I know how to tell that story visually. Mm-hmm. And it's that the basement, the two basement sequences to me, I'm like, yeah, she's going to be, she's going to be great. Yeah. I think the, the last thing I wanted to mention is I think the other really clever thing that the script does is to, in a lot of ways, even though this movie is about, is about characters who end up committing suicide, there's a lot of like weird suicide jokes in this movie leading up to it like you have you have the stuff with the rat poison you have all that then you have like the kid across the street who like falls in love and gives up on life and like jumps off his roof but like lands in the bushes and then just keeps walking off set so it kind of like makes light uh... of it and then you have the end of this movie which kind of puts you in check and is like uh no this isn't this can get real real quick well, if this was a Wes Anderson movie, that would be the main character. And oh, wouldn't he God. be so silly? Oh, thank God we're not watching that. <laughs> Good Lord. Get me away from that. It's interesting because, you know, I think that he's probably the uh, most direct comparison to her uh, from a stylistic point of view. And it's strange how mm. with one filmmaker I can see those, you know, the the visual language that she's using uh you know, moves me in different ways from thinking like, Oh, this is incredibly sarcastic to that's incredibly mm-hmm. tragic. Uh, and with him, it's like, what a silly boy. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's about as far as it goes. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. So now we're, we've kind of come to basically the end of the episode. Now we got to talk about, you know, where, where do you stand with Sophia Coppola now, now that you've kind of reintroduced yourself to her work and watched her first movie again? I, I mean, I certainly like this more uh, than I did as a teenager, uh, you know, by the end of it, I would, I still think you're a little weird if you're watching this on an annual basis. You know, if Dave is coming out, you know, Christmas morning, it's like, all right, time to throw in Virgin Suicide. It's <laughs> pretty fucking weird to me. How dare you? Uh, this is the day after Thanksgiving every year. Oh, okay. You... <laughs> yeah. That makes much more sense. Of course. Yeah. Black Family Friday. Family dinner, sure. you know. It's... Yeah. Um, that may still be a little strange, but I liked it a lot more. Um, and I don't, I don't just like it as a precursor to her other work, mm-hmm. like looking back in hindsight, cause you know, for the purpose of this podcast, this one is probably what I want out of it, which means I'll be retiring after this episode from the show. Uh, in the sense that, you know, when we did our episode zero, I was like, I want to revisit things I've already seen. That's what I'm more interested in. And when you start to put them in the context of their career as one narrative, do I see it differently? And with this one, um, I, I think it, <laughs> it may have a negative effect on the other films. I, in mm. particular, the one that's going to come up, um, cause I've probably seen that one a lot more and right. I don't think I have as much distance. This one, uh, I'm now, you know, going to look at it as maybe the follow-up film, maybe a disappointment to me. Whereas previously I would not have said that I would have been like, Oh yeah, that was obviously like there was a lot of skill there. And then she went on to like, you know, the bigger film, the one that had more mainstream success, but no, anytime I do a movie podcast, inevitably, uh, so this one was better. The next one will be worse. I think for me, what this really hammered home for me is that anyone seeing this movie should not have been surprised that she is or became a great director, depending on your perspective. Uh, because this is this is one of my favorite first films from a director. Like I, I can watch it repeatedly. I can get things new from it. A lot of times when you get a brand new director, you, you've seen it once, you've seen it twice. Okay, I'm I'm good here. I don't think I need to 
revisit this. I'll 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 get back to this love, director when when they get more polished. But she's very I love polished to think here. Of the years of work it takes for like right. one movie, and you're like, I'll give you two watches. I'll give you once at the theater, once at Redbox. To be I'm fair, good. that's Don't probably more. more than a lot of people gave <laughs> a movie like this. Um, so I think I was afraid, similar to you, that I was gonna that I was only enjoying this movie because of what came after it because I knew she became this great director. Um, but I think even in a vacuum, like this is a very good film and really uh, another thing that you'll probably love about this director in general. She's a very efficient director too. Not yes. a lot of two and a half hour long movies with her. This nope. is like an hour and 30 hour and 40. Uh, but it never, in, in some ways it does feel slow is the wrong word because slow has a negative connotation, but it really does take its time. It never feels like you're rushing towards this, you know, this dark ending. It's just like, you know, this is the next step. And I didn't I didn't feel like, oh, this needed to be fleshed out more. She needed to do more work here. It was just like, no, this this works just as it is. So it's nice to see a movie that I enjoy. But now I know it's not just because of what came after it, but because like, no, this is a good movie and it's well directed and well acted and well written. And I, I like that you brought up the fact that she read this novel and decided, like, I can tell this story. And I think she proved that. She can tell this story, and she told it really well. But there is an alternate timeline, um, you know. And if that was coming up, like in the marketing of the film, or uh, as she was making it, where you could easily see this, you know, maybe this she's just a one-off filmmaker mm -hmm. in that sense, or it's like if, if she was just so passionate about this one story, and it's a little different because sure. uh, she's, you know, you see it more with actors, right? Like you see like an actor do one film, and it's like they just kind of wanted to see what it was like from the other side of it like i think uh does edward norton just have that keeping the faith rom-com that i love so much <laughs> that also came out around this time period and that's like yeah. i think he just now is like just directed his second feature yeah i think that's coming out this fall 20 years like you know it's like yeah. <laughs> and it's not access right it's obvious like if he wanted to he could make a film, right? Sure. I don't know if he could make the film he wants to make, but you know, with this being a passion project and with her connections, you could have seen this like, Oh, I could tell that one story. And I think that it makes it a more earnest movie. makes it more mm -hmm. honest that it's not like, you know, this is not a sizzle reel movie that I think we're going to, if we were doing, uh, which that's something you've sort of course corrected on. If we were going to stick to the concept of like, we're always going to do their first film. Mm -hmm. We may see on this podcast in first features, where it's like, okay, yeah, that's you know, there's some cool shit here, but let's move on to the second one. I think Christopher right. Nolan's someone that suffers from that. I think when you watch Following, it's like, oh yeah, I can see this sure. guy is interesting, but do I want to watch fucking Following you know, on Black Friday every year with Dave? No, I like Dave, oh. but I'm I don't want to do that. Like, can <laughs> we, we can pick something else. <laughs> can we watch Keeping the Faith? You know, how about that? Edward Norton, better filmmaker than Christopher Nolan. Uh, um, when we got that got that point across. Jesus. I'm going to push to do an Edward Norton month just because it would be two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> when we, have a, pa when we have a Patreon account, we'll do a special <laughs> Edward Norton. Episode. I don't think Keeping the Faith is going to get people to sign up for it. No? Christopher mm -hmm. Nolan, you put him behind Patreon maybe, but Edward Norton, yeah, that, that, that would be our holiday month. We're going on vacation. There so. you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about uh, – you know, the, the project going forward. But, um, I, I think that this one unexpectedly, I had such a strong reaction to it mm -hmm. in the positive that nowhere uh, to go it's back down. Take me, <laughs> well, it's, it's going to, you know, give me a couple episodes, Dave, and I'll be back in the saddle. That's a slight spoiler having watched oh. some of these films already. Uh, so I'm much more looking forward to, 
uh, you know, some of the films after this next one. We just we just got to get this next one out of the way. That's right. good for the so, SEO. So speaking of the next one, we just have to get out of the way. Right. Our right. next episode will be on Lost in Translation. Uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> a crap, apparently. Um, a movie we've probably both watched five or ten times, um, but terrible. Uh, but if you want to watch that, uh, it's not available for streaming for free anywhere, but you can rent it on iTunes and on Amazon. So, Or you can uh, just buy it on, on Blu-ray and you know have some physical media. Like, like Dave. Dave, we're trying to make these uh, episodes last, you know, for at least a year or two, and you're, man, you're dating right. them so badly. All right, digital, go digital, then get it on <laughs> iTunes so you can keep it organized on every device you have. Uh, so that will be our next episode. So make sure to catch up on Watching Translation, and we will talk to you then. <laughs>